Well, welcome again to everyone here in the worship center today in the chapel. We say welcome to those that are in Midtown. We thank you, those that are joining us online today, for choosing to be a part of the church. And we've already had a great time. We've been celebrating all that God has been doing over the last couple of weeks. And we're just going to continue that as we go to him today. And we hear from his man for us today to preach to us, which is Ted Cunningham. And you guys welcome him if you would. Yeah. So... I know we were all affected by the service today and our worship time together. At the end of the first service, the worship set, Ted leans over to me like, man, that's just awesome. I just love this place, and I love being up. He was, let me tell you. I got the ugly cry going you on. You did. He got the ugly moment. cry. It was bad. I mean, you guys are in for a treat today. Ted really blessed us in the first service. I'm so thankful to Alex and all the great people that he's brought in this summer uh, to preach to us about heroes, and uh, God bless you, man. Hey. We love you. All right. <clears throat> Was that baptism video not fantastic? Oh. The threat to human life in that baptism service was fantastic. I think that's how baptism should be. Scary and not knowing if we're actually gonna get the person back up out of the water. I thought I was the fastest dunker this side of the Mississippi, and everybody always makes fun of me at Branson. Man, you throw those people down, and <laughs> I'm taking this video back with me. I am still Baptist uh, in the way. But you'll notice there was only one wise baptizer. Anybody know who that was? Alex. He was the only one counting waves. Everybody else, hey, let's wait for the biggest one to come along. All right, let's try it now. So I thought that was, whew, that was so good. Hey, everybody take a deep breath and then let it out. I'm going to ask you, after Rick Rigsby was here last week, are you okay? Yeah. Are you all okay? I called him this week and I said, I said, Rick, I said, I really wish I, I, w I wasn't the one following you at, at the church this <laughs> weekend. And he goes, oh, Ted, listen, just remind them that you're white and that they should lower their expectations. <laughs> so there you go. That's straight from Rick Rigsby uh, to you this morning. He is a brother from another mother, so we are uh, good buds. Well, I'm excited to be back, and I'm excited to be able to share this message. Every hero needs a sidekick. And let me make a few observations before we jump into uh, the hero I want to look at today in Paul. And really looking at the Paul-Timothy relationship and the importance of passing on to the next generation uh, the message of the gospel. Let me make a few observations. Real heroes sacrifice for mission. Uh, they realize that there's something more important than making a name for themselves. Uh, real heroes realize that they cannot accomplish the mission alone. Real heroes model for each and every one of us how we should live. And my last observation is I believe this room today is full of heroes. I believe there are heroes in moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and in the older generation. And I believe there's a lot of Pauls in here as we're going to look at his teaching today. And, and I believe there are a lot of Timothys. Uh, my son and I, we got into a big debate and I wanted to involve you and include you and to see if you can help settle it for us. But I said at dinner uh, a few weeks back, I said, Carson, I said, uh, who's the better superhero? I said, is it Batman or Iron Man? You young orange-shirted punks. You have no idea. Raise your hand if you think it's Iron Man. 
He's nothing without the suit. How many of you think it's Batman? <laughs> and I'm not talking about these new Batmans that they can't figure out which actor they want to play Batman. I'm talking about the old Batman. I'm talking about Kerplunk and Pow and Bam, who could take a little hook with a string and throw it up a building. He didn't need a jetpack. He threw it up there and then he walked up the side of the building casually, calmly, with Robin trailing behind him. He didn't need no flame, whatever, out the bottom of his feet. I said, Carson, Batman's the only superhero Dad, Iron Man. He starts going, I go, look, Iron Man's arrogant. Iron Man wants his name in lights and on the side of buildings. I said, let's get with Batman because Batman was secretive. Batman, so I think Batman won it in this place. Was I right? Did Batman win? Yeah, I think, okay, all right. So I just wanted to check because as, as we dig into this today, we're gonna look at real superheroes and the importance of passing on to the next generation. And my question will simply be, will you be a hero to the next generation? Will you invest? Will you pour into uh, with your life and the gospel and the change it's made in your heart? Will you pour that into the generations to come? Let me start with this. Paul knew his mission and invited others to join in. Uh, I love getting around heroes of the faith and, and men and women who are tenacious about what they're called to do they stick with it. Nobody can deter them. No amount of criticism can move them off point. They are going after it. They can be accused. They can be blamed. They can get the most nasty emails, but nothing is going to stop them from their mission. And here's what Paul said in Acts 20, verses 23 through 24. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Most of the heroes in my life, almost every single one of them I can point to, that's done great things for God and great things for the gospel of Jesus are men and women who have suffered much. Paul suffered, and here's what he says in 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 11, as he's sharing with Timothy as he's encouraging Timothy through his hardships, he says this, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. When Paul's a prisoner, when he's beaten, when he's going through sufferings, he doesn't ask for pity, he doesn't ask for praise, he doesn't ask for validation, he doesn't say feel sorry for me, he doesn't complain, he doesn't whine. You know what he says? Join with me. Be a part of it with me. Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, the good news. And of this gospel, here's his mission, and here's what he's never gonna stop doing until the day of his death. I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. You wanna thank a leader you wanna thank a pastor for the work that they're doing for the Gospels? You know what? Keep the cards. We don't need a week for a clergy appreciation week. Join. Join in. Be a part. Nothing says thank you to someone who's heralding the Gospel of Jesus like someone rolling up their sleeves and joining alongside. As I say in, at Woodland Hills and Branson all the time, usually the people that have their sleeves rolled up 
and are doing the work of ministry, they're the least critical. They're the ones who, they don't have as many opinions about the way it should be done because they're too busy doing it. They're constantly about the work. They understand the pressure that goes with the sharing of the gospel. Paul knew suffering, and he didn't want it all for himself. He said, you can join in with me. And so he trained, and he loved this young man named Timothy. We read a great text on discipleship in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. You then, my son... Timothy was Paul's spiritual son in the faith. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. The discipleship model is this, loving a man or a woman to Jesus until that man or woman loves another person to Jesus. You and I are here today because people were not quiet. How, did, how, how, how could Paul have stopped the suffering like that? keep his mouth shut. He kept proclaiming the good news and it brought suffering. And he invites Timothy to join in. And what's interesting about this text, he says, Timothy, you've been in so many ministry situations with me. You've watched me minister. You see how I handle people when I instructed the elders or when I instructed the worship team or when I went and evangelized. You saw that. You watched. Those things I want you to take now and pass on to the generations that come behind you. A couple of weeks ago, my son and I were, it was just the two of us, we decided to go do the Branson tourist stuff. And, you know, we get 50% off at the tracks and all that, so we love go-karts and all that. So we went over to the bumper boats. And he loves the bumper boats. And, and we're standing in line. Each session of the bumper boats is 10 minutes. And I'm standing in line next to a woman who I'm guessing is in her mid-70s. Okay? Let me paint a picture for this one. I want you to get this woman in your head. Very important for the story. You can tell she's the type of lady that gets her hair done at 7 a.m. every Wednesday. You know what I'm talking about? It's perfect, okay? It's perfect. You can tell she sleeps sitting up. If she does lay down, she lays down like this so she can get up in the morning and go... It's not her natural color. But it's perfect. It's just perfect. And she's standing there with her granddaughter. And Carson and I are standing there, and I thought to myself, I wonder if she knows what this ride is really all about. This is the water ride. She's on vacation in Branson. There's guns on the front of the bumper boat that shoot water. And then I decided, well, I can do one of two things. I could tell her, or I could show her. I went with the latter. <laughs> How many of you think I made a right decision? Raise your hand. That's why I love this place. <laughs> How many of you think I should have told her? There's like six people. <laughs> so I stood there, and I can't tell you the joy that filled my soul as I sat on that boat for 10 minutes straight and shot her right here. I got a dad to join in, and he was a bigger guy, and he would get real close. 
And I tell her, get her from behind, from behind. I wanted her to get hit from him right there. And he, as he got too close, he kept shooting over. And I mean, this is the scene. I'm yelling at the dad, you got to lean forward on the boat. Lean forward. So he le- And so here's the scene this poor 75-year-old woman gets for 10 straight minutes. Two guys on boats on each side of her going, I mean, and her hair just came down around her face. But then I looked over in the boat next to me. And there was seven-year-old Carson, who was shooting her right here. (laughs) For about 10, it was a proud day. It's a proud moment. There was my little sidekick. How many of you can say amen to this? Our children see everything we do. They hear every word we speak. And they repeat. I have a little mini me. He looks just like me. He acts like me. When people correct him in public, I feel like I'm being punished. (laughs) Because much of his behavior, he's repeating. We, We this week have been talking a lot about death in our family, and I'll share that in just a moment. But I said, Carson, one day you're gonna be at my bedside. I hope we get that opportunity where before I leave this earth that I can bless you. And, and he goes, are we still going to do a fight? He wants to do a fight so bad. And I go, what would that fight look like? And he starts going at me like this. <laughs> he is truly my sidekick. I've got an eight-year-old sidekick in Corinne. They watch, they listen, and they repeat everything. What Paul is telling Timothy is this. You've observed. This was the model Jesus had for discipleship. Guys, come along, go with me. For a few years, I think in the church, and it's sad because I think publishing has handed to us our discipleship model, and it's usually in a six-week that, eight-week this, 12-week this. I brought some of them with me if you'll stop by the book table on the way out (laughs) and pick them up. But yeah, go six weeks, you'll have the mind of Christ. Eight weeks, transformed marriage. 12 weeks, this will happen, and we forget the process of discipleship. The process of discipleship is long. We need to start thinking in terms of years, not weeks and months. As we think about the Timothys in our lives, when I said there are heroes in here today, there are Paul uh, examples in here all over the place. Grandmas and grandpas, moms and dads who have invested into their children. Their sidekicks are in their family. But there's also many of you in here today that can think about a leader in the church or a volunteer in the church who came alongside you and repeated things your parents said. The role of discipleship, the process of discipleship is not reserved for just a few select paid staff members. It's the responsibility of every single person. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus. And it's our responsibility to look at the sidekicks in our life, to look at our children, to look at those in the church, other potential Timothys, and make the decision, we're going to invest in a mission that's greater than us. We're going to do something more than, than just have a, a, a church that meets my needs. I'm going to ask this, and I did this in the first service, I'd love to see the chapel and Midtown do this as well, but if you were born before 1943, before 1943, we call you the builder generation, would you stand and remain standing for just a second? You were born before 1943. Give them a second. 
Give them a hand as they stay. I want you to stay standing for just a second. Hey, my young adult friends in the orange shirts, look back at these folks right here. These folks, words that would define them would be duty, loyalty, sacrifice, commitment, and honor. Some of them, how many of you, raise your hand if you served in the military. You're a veteran. Let me see your hands. Again, give them a hand. These are men and women who serve. They understand sacrifice, loyalty. Thank you all. You may be seated. The guy's going, thank you. They understand the importance of this next text. This next text, there's a, there's a moment in this text that I didn't see until the past couple of months. And I've read this text many times before, but it showed me in my personal quiet time just the impact of training the next generation and the generational impact it has on generations to come and those not even yet born. Here's what Psalm 78 reads. I will open my mouth in parables. I will tell stories. I will utter hidden things, things from old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. Verse 6, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, as I intentionally share with my children each day to understand that I'm impacting my own grandchildren. I'm preparing a generation that doesn't even walk upon this earth. And they would in turn tell their children. Verse 7, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. When I was here at Passionate Love, I shared these, these devos that we've been doing around the Cunningham uh, home, and, and one of my favorite ones uh, is the S, which is Satan's lies. And it's Genesis 3, 4 through 5. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I love, I love when I tell the kids to grab this card and we talk about those three lies. And, and I ask them at a moment's notice, what are the three greatest lies that Satan gave in the garden? We will not die. Our eyes will be open and we'll be like God. And we find ways throughout the day and throughout the, the grind of life to share that truth because Satan wants us to believe that truth comes from within. That truth is something we can make up and it's situational. So it depends on the person, depends on the time, and it depends on the situation that they're in. And Satan wants us to understand and believe that we can be our own God. Nobody tells us what to do. You are the authority. You, there is no higher authority. You are God. And live your life however you want because you will not die. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of death come. Satan wants you to believe those three lies. And so Carson and, and Corinne, I was putting that into them through our family quiet time. And then I had three other things I wanted Carson to learn. I said, Carson, number, number one, I said, stop getting undressed around the house and leaving an article of clothing in a different room as you walk through the house. Do what all men do, get undressed and put it on the floor in one location. <laughs> Stay still. I said, number two, we're gonna start the... The first time rule. The first time mom asks something or does something and re requires a response from you, no more passive resistance. 
Passive resistance is just delay. I said, I want you to hit the ground run and say, yes, ma'am, and get to it and get on it right then and there. Number three, flush the toilet. <laughs> Tell me, what are those? He goes, don't get undressed all over the house. Put the clothes in the hamper. He said, do, the, do what I'm told right away, first time. Don't make mom repeat herself and flush the toilet. Well, I was getting ready for a trip and I was leaving. I said, Carson, what three things are we working on? He goes, uh, flush the toilet, do what mom says the first time, and I will not surely die. <laughs> Close enough, see you tomorrow. Remember, they hear, they see, and they repeat. What are you teaching? What are you giving out? We know that most parents have no intentional time with their children. They don't have an intentional devotional time. Like, well, I'm not a scholar. One of the, we call these devos add water and stir. You don't have to be a scholar. Get the Bible out. Begin teaching your children. And as you sit there at night teaching your children, think about your grandchildren that you are already setting up to teach the gospel of Jesus to. And that, to me, is the true hero. Paul had Timothy a young man that he invested in, that he trained, that he loved, that he hated being apart from. But he was on mission. He wanted Timothy to be on mission. And then Paul comes to the end of his ministry. Paul modeled a life well lived. Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse 11 says this. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. This is a hard truth in life. But the reality is this. When you die, okay, we will put you in a box, your stuff in a box, we'll eat a little potato salad, and we go on with life. That's a hard truth. But men are forgotten. With that truth in hand, men and women go out and at great lengths and at great expense try to keep their name remembered. So I grew up in a church where we put names on everything. Get a piano, if you wanna donate the piano, we'll put your name on it. Guess what, the plaques, I can go in churches all over the country with plaques on pianos, I don't have a clue who the person is. The attempt that they made to remember somebody, ultimately forgotten. So we put them on buildings. I challenge you this week with your kids, do that. As you drive through this town and see names on buildings, Ask your children, do you know who that person is? And then teach them the truth that we're gonna learn right now. We put the name up there to try to remember them, and guess what? Ultimately, they're forgotten. So we do books. We spend money. We try everything we can to be remembered, and Solomon says, ultimately, you will be forgotten. So how do we remember the hero? Uh, June 12th, we got a phone call. Uh, so this was about 12 days ago that Amy's grandfather, who had been struggling, was at the end. Uh, he, he'd been getting assistance with his breathing for the last couple of years, but got up from the chair and he twisted and he broke his femur and then fell down and broke his hip and he's in the hospital and they're, they're putting him on dia dialysis to try to keep his kidneys going. His lungs filling up with fluid, they were taking that off and not to get too graphic, but they said this is it and he was done, totally done. And so we rushed up there. I took Amy's parents who live in Branson as well, Denny and Linda. And we get there on Wednesday morning, the 13th. And we go into the room. And there's Lloyd. And uh, 
Lloyd looks at me and the first thing he says is, Ted, is there any way you can speed this up? I said, Lloyd, I, I, don't, I don't think so. But I, I, I could step on that tube right there and see what could happen, but <laughs> I think we ought to get the doctor's consent on some of this stuff. Lloyd had an unbelievable sense of humor. Lloyd uh, was one of my heroes. Uh, this is Lloyd Freetag. This is Amy's grandpa. And oh, Lloyd was done. He, he was cutting up on the 13th, and we all went out to dinner. And then I dropped Denny back off, and Denny and his dad watched the entire Twins game while they held hands. And then, so it was decided the next morning. That night, actually, he kept taking the oxygen out of his nose. He was just done, and he held on for us to get there that morning. And, and let me tell you something. As a pastor, uh, I've been in good death situations, and I've been in bad death situations. Uh, I had one lady at the church called me one time and said, dad, my dad's dying, and I'd like you to come up and pray with the family. But understand, our family, we hate each other. So when you come into the room, if you would just ask people if they want to stay and pray or they can be dismissed during the prayer. And I said, absolutely. And so I get there. There's probably 30 people in the room. And I said, I'm about to pray. I said, I'd like to invite you to join me as we gather around the bed or you're welcome to, to, to leave and we'll come get you when it's over. Every single person walked out of the room. That's a bad death. That's a bad death. This was... One of the best. I, we were given a gift that I know a lot of people don't get. We were given an unbelievable blessing to gather around the bed of Lloyd. Okay, we took the Lord's Supper. Uh, my wife led her family in a prayer. Uh, uh, we sang. I've never sang in a hospital. Have you ever sang in a hospital? We sang. And, and I'm telling you, this is how you want to go. Lloyd blessed his family. He gave each of his, ch each of his children a blessing, gave each of his grandchildren a blessing. The doctors came in and said, Lloyd, do you want us to turn off the oxygen and to turn off your pacemaker? And I mean, they didn't have time to do it, and he was ripping the <laughs> oxygen out of his nose for some reason, he didn't want to go out with his hearing aids in, so he asked that we take those two. Here were his last words. Goodbye, everyone. Gotta go. And about three hours later, he went to be with Jesus. And we were a mess because we just said goodbye to our hero. A man, I, I wish I could be, oh. Let me, let me tell you about Lloyd. World War II veteran knows how to sacrifice for his country. He worked 41 years and a few months at Hormel Foods, a meatpacking plant. He came home from the war and he met this young lady named Lorraine. <laughs> this is pretty cool stuff. They dated for a full week every night. Now you know where I get a lot of my, <laughs> a lot of my beliefs. On Saturday night after a week, he said, come on, we're getting along like married people. We might as well be married. They were married the next Saturday after knowing each other two weeks. And uh, <laughs> before going to Jesus, they celebrated 65 years of marriage. And let me tell you something. 
on the day of his death, still getting kissed on the lips by his wife. I mean, I know, and I know some of you got the call in the middle of the night, and you didn't get the blessing I'm talking about. You were called and just told your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa passed away. We were able to be gathered around his bed and blessed. We came out of, I mean, we were a mess after he passed away. My, my daughter, Corinne, looks at Carson and goes, Carson, how come you're the only one not crying? And my sidekick says to her, this is such, he's becoming a man. He says, sissy, I've learned how to control my emotions. We left and then this past Wednesday, I was, had the honor to do his funeral. And I stood up and the, these were the verses that I led out with at St. Olaf's Lutheran Church. A good name is better than fine perfume. And the day of death, better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a funeral or to go to a house of mourning than to go to a party or a house of feasting. And then this last part of verse 2 is what my family and I, as we are in a season of mourning, uh, I have invested these words deep into the heart of my children the last week. As Lloyd suffered a little bit as he left this earth, Grandma said, I don't want the kids to see the suffering. I'm okay with that. Jesus never promised us we wouldn't suffer. I think that's one of the reasons people fear death. You know, if death is the number two thing, according to Wikipedia, and we know if Wikipedia said it, then it's got to be right. The number two fear globally of people, the fear of death. You know what the number one fear is? The fear of public speaking which means many of you would rather die than get up here and finish this talk. Wikipedia is the most whacked out website I've ever seen because it says this, the reason people fear death, number one, is the suffering that leads up to it. Jesus never promised you you wouldn't suffer. He actually said you would suffer. And then it says this, the other fear people have is unknown and that which is uncertain after death. And you know what Wikipedia gives you as it ministers to you? Embrace the unknown. What kind of, what is that? Just embrace uncertainty. I was able to share with their family, my family. Wasn't born into the crazy family, but I married into it. I said, we don't have hope. There's two ways to mourn. Mourning with hope and mourning without hope. I said, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. We mourn as those who have hope. And our hope doesn't come from it within Don't need to cuddle your inner self. Your inner self's a mess. I said our hope, according to the scripture, is we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And don't be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep because Jesus, because he died and rose again, will return and bring with with him those who have fallen asleep. I said, I've been asking my kids all week, What does the death of grandpa do for us? Everything changes. The reason funerals are great teachers is because we learn something about the priorities of life and what's really important. That which we chase after means nothing. If you've been through mourning recently and most every person in here has been through mourning at some time, you realize you're kind of in this cloud. It's been that type of week for me where I just wake up in a hotel room with my family and I have to call the front desk, where am I? Because you just because nothing really matters. You really begin to think about what's truly important. 
our mission as followers of Jesus, the gospel, and those that have been placed in our lives that we get to share that with. And I said for Lloyd, as we go here, and we did, we ate potato salad and ham sandwiches afterwards. And there's a fear, are we gonna forget him or are we gonna forget him? He had two kids, Denny, uh, Denny and Deanna. He had four grandchildren, Jenny, Gina, Brian, and my wife, Amy. He had eight grandchildren, Haley, Dakota, Connor. What are my two kids? Carson, Corinne, Jada, Avery, and Bria. He's passed on to the generations. And we said goodbye to grandpa this week. We said goodbye to our hero. And let me tell you, man, one of my uncles stopped me after the graveside and he hugged me and he said, boy, I hope you do my funeral that well. I said, you got some work to do. <laughs> because death is the destiny of every man and the living should take this to heart. <laughs> and this is what I told the grandkids. Go home. Ecclesiastes 9.9. Love, enjoy, and be committed to your wife as Lloyd was committed to Lorraine. Love Jesus. Invest in your family. For death is the destiny of every man. And all of us in here, and all of those on Wednesday at the funeral, let us take this to heart. Because here is what Paul said to Timothy. And I hope it brings new light to this text. Because I see Paul, and then they didn't have the tubes, but ripping, ready to go. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to my children, and to my grandchildren, and to the great-grandchildren, and to those who have longed for his appearing. Why? Because we opened our mouths. We declared the truth of the gospel of Jesus to our kids. Listen, I almost feel like we should take another offering so you can invest in camps again. Some of you have today to walk out and understand a hero isn't one of these guys who gets his name in lights. A hero is discreet. But a hero is remembered in the lives and in the hearts of the people that we've impacted. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to ask this question as we close. You commit today to be that Paul, to be that hero to the generations to come. And just as I told my uncle, you go, I know I got some work to do. But I'm going to be a hero to the next generation. I can think of five sidekicks in my head right now. I can think of six young men, young women that don't know how to be married. They don't know how to work. They don't know how to study their Bible. They don't know how to love the Lord. They don't know, but you know what? God's placed them in my life, and I am going to love, train, and invest in them. You say, Ted, I understand my responsibility as a Paul and I will be a hero to the next generation. Would you stand as I pray a prayer over you? I want you to stand and I want to pray a special blessing over you as you go out a hero to the next generation.
Father, thank you for the commitment for those who are standing. Men and women who aren't concerned about having their names on buildings, names on plaques, but men and women who are serious about investing in the next generation, about leading, about loving, about training, those even not yet born. We're grateful for them. I pray a special blessing over them. Cover each one in the families and the Timothys in their life. Cover them in the blood of Jesus. Protect them from evil. Fulfill your purpose in their lives. You may be seated, and I want to talk to this one final person. You don't have a hero in your life. Your mom and dad, your grandma and grandpa, they did not teach you the scriptures. But today, you understand that Jesus died and rose again. And you understand that he is our hope. And before the Lord today, you confess your sins and you receive Jesus as your savior. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he has been raised. And you confess him as your savior this morning. Father, we are grateful for our time. I pray a blessing over everyone here that we, as we read the scripture, would understand that it is not about us. It's not about how we can be known, but it's how we can make you known. May we share Christ this week. May we share the gospel this week with the Timothys in our life. May we share it with people who we are similar to. May we share it with people who are different from us. May we share it with people who may be even dangerous. But we take the gospel today with us. And we want to be heroes to the next generation. It is in the name of Jesus that everyone agreed and said,